You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. What I want to do today is to go through, um, in some depth, three chuvot. And the issue, in the, the issue that I'm interested in is not the result of those chuvot on the specific issue. What I'm interested in is, is what they tell us about the way in which halacha is supposed to relate to uh, social, uh, to social and economic inequality. Do we, uh, right? What's how do we expect people to react to there being circumstances where some people can do things that they cannot, where they are in more difficult situations than others, um, right? How do we, right? How do we relate to situations where? Um, on black letter halacha, some people will um, some people will be able to do things the halacha, and other people will not because it's a shasat chak for you and not a shasat chak for them. We're going to talk about it in the specific context of economics, uh, but I want to mention at the outset that uh, my wife has correctly pointed out that this is not just an issue of economics or even social status. Uh, it also relates to issues such as disability. All right, so the example she brings up is Shabbos elevators. Right. How do we? How would? How do should we relate to a psaq, uh, where we say, you know what? There are some people who have to use Shabbos elevators or scooters or hearing aids, and all sorts of ways in which some people are need need these hetarim in order to have the same experience as everybody else. But in order for them to have the same experience and to f- fully ex- fully benefit from the uh, right from the the uh, spiritual uplift of of halacha. They need to take advantage of heterium that we wouldn't ordinarily give other people, and that might have a counter impression on them, right? It, that it stigmatizes them in some sense as people who are using coolers. So I want to talk. I want to present two chuvot that address that issue directly, and one response to one of those chuvot, which says something slightly different, but will be interesting to see just how uh, how much it actually critiques the um, the other positions. So we're starting with the chuvot of Rav Yaakov Meir of Padua, the Marim Mibrisk. Um, this is a truth that's written uh, for the tough race you'd bet. So we're in the 1850s. Um, the Barame Brisk, I don't know very much about. What I can say is that other people seem to have related to him as a great Sadiq and not just the great London. Uh, if you read the book, Rabbi Senor Shabagolah, there's a great story about him. You can decide how how you want to understand the story that one year, this just to show you that he wasn't the Mekula about issues of, uh, of Pesach, that one year, all the sugar, all the sugar that was delivered to Brisk uh, it came, and it comes with a ksav hechsher, and he paskins that you're not allowed to eat it, and that it's all it's all chametz. And uh, everyone gets very very upset with him because, of course, you don't want to go through Pesach without sugar. And after Pesach, it turns out that it really was chametz. Everybody asks him, right? How did you? How could you tell? And he says, you know, every time I picked up the ksav to read the hechsher, I somehow I just couldn't see the letters. But I figured that must be a siman hashemayim. Uh, or alternatively, I said, you know, well, what, what am I supposed to do? I never saw that sure. Right? That says the verse he told, he told it afterwards. I don't know how you take this story, but people tell retell this story as a, you know as a uh, spiritual intuition story. Uh, like um, Talmud Chacham, who was on the Madriga of you know the Chamorah or Pinchas Ben I guess, right? For, uh, for others, which is apparently a very elevated, elevated Madriga. Uh, figure out what you say. So it's certainly not a make on uh, Pesach issues, and certainly with courage. Somebody who's capable of posketing that uh, the sugar that comes into a city for Pesach is is chametz. I think that that would be a big, big balagan nowadays if somebody were to uh, posket something like that for our community. So here's it. So, we're starting on we're on um, 
I'm going to put the Makar in the chat again in case somebody came in after. Uh, here, here it is. Okay, so everybody should have should have the those of the Makar. So you just open them. And here's this talk. Asher Sheiluni, the question they asked me to allow them I've had all sorts of different Yiddish experts tell me what Biblos are. They're kind of small, small things. They're chickpeas, or uh, I forget, Rabbi Kivlans, you, you suggested something else. Um, peas, whatever they are, they're something that reasonably, as we see in the moment, should be their kitneos, right? So for our purposes, those are the halog of Biblos that are called, uh, right, that are, that are kitneos. And and where he's living, right, um, everybody yeah, agrees just, that... Just to Bibelach, tell you that, just to tell you, it's actually Babalach, Babalach. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. And it's the same, the Yiddish word that everybody knows, Bupkis, comes from that. It's, it comes from there. Yeah. Little things. Okay, for the no, island. No, 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 no. In other words, they were, they were like these yellow kidney beans that they sometimes sell with chickpeas together now. Those are Babalach. I, I know because I grew up with European parents and European survivors, and that's what they would call them, these bubbles. Okay, I'm bubbles. happy to admit that, although I don't, you know, I don't, it's not obvious to me that 1850 language is stable between 1850 <laughs> and, uh, and the 20th century, so whatever it meant there. They're, they're small, roundish things, okay? Right. Uh, and, and they're kidneys. So the question they were asked is, <laughs> Do we allow at least these things in our time, which is an ace attack, and a schnasser avon, right? There's it's a time of famine, and it's almost impossible for the poor people to find anything to eat. Okay, so there's a whole sorts of discussion about whether you can be matir minhagim as this sort or not. Um, and most Rishonim agree, right? That a minag that was adopted because as a siag or as a precious vegeder mitzvah, so we can't. Even if you think the source of minhagim is neder, and ordinarily a neder you can undo on the grounds that uh, I regretted I wouldn't have made it, I known it would come about. But he thinks most rishonim agree that that doesn't apply to a minag adopted because it's likely to prevent you from committing yisurim. Okay, but now he says, right, big chiddush. He says, "Dear Lani but it seems to me. All, that's only talking about completely vacating the minha. But nobody objects at all to temporary heterim. Okay, right, that says, right, that doesn't, nobody thinks that's impossible. Okay, that's a very nice finish. And now he says a much bigger finish. So, in my humble opinion, this isn't only true of minhagim that come mineder, even formal rabbinic decrees, right, things that might, might or might not be true, this was all made decree, and it spread throughout the whole Jewish community, so there's no doubt about the binding nature of the decree. Nonetheless, the Mishnah says that you're allowed to feed Demai to the poor, Assuming that they have nothing else to eat, right? They can't take it home and save it for eat the next meal. But if you have a poor person in front of you, your soup kitchen, at your soup kitchen, you can use the mai. And you can also feed soldiers that are quartered on you. I think that's what Hassan means. It doesn't mean guests. Uh, but you can also feed them the mai. And he comes out with a really radical claim on basis of this. Alma, kol gzeras chazal Whenever chazal make gzera, they don't intend it to be binding in all circumstances. 
if it comes up to a circumstance where the xera is really, really counterproductive, and the need is not to enforce the xera, we say, yeah, they never intended to make the xera in such a circumstance. Okay, then he has a raya. His raya is we find in Erevin that they uh, that they exempt you from the tilos yudayim and erev chaseros in a in a war camp, even though those things are takana shlomo. And he says, and certainly Shlomo didn't build in all these exceptions initially when he made the Xerah. And that says, right? And certainly we're not talking about it. We say that they're not, these takanas these, these are not binding, or Xeras are not binding in a, um, in a war camp. It doesn't mean when you're, they're actually posing a direct danger to the soldiers. Because that you wouldn't need to tell me that these things don't apply in, right, when there's Pikoch Nefesh, because the Holy Spirit should be tarry to welcome Pikoch Nefesh. Everything's in the right? It should be Nefesh, except, of course, for the big three. So why would you need a special thing to tell me about these Rabbanans? Right, so we're not talking about a case of Pikoch Nefesh. It's just a difficult circumstance. He says on this, we say, We told Zerah Shaisab Bistam, so he says that we reverse the burden of proof. If you have Xera, and Xera is posing extreme difficulties in a specific case, um, so the presumption is that rabbinic decrees don't apply in those sorts of circumstances. Those are not hidushim that you have to come up in a specific case. Those are the default. And if somebody wants to say, no, really, they were gozer, even in a shasat hat, they have to prove it to you, not the way they're around. Okay? And he says, interesting proof for this. He says, We found a number of places in the Gemara where the Gemara, somebody says, ha, I can prove to you the halacha is because Rabbi so-and-so passed in that way. And we say, no, he passed in that way in a shasat hat. So obviously you passed in differently in a shasat hat. So that tells you halakha is just different in a shasat chak. Um, so you can't prove because they were matir in a shasat chak that is that is mutter regularly. By the same token, just because it's asr regularly, you can't prove that it's asr in a shasat chak. Right? You can't bring any proofs um, about from a shasat chak. Um, and by the same token, you can't bring any proofs from right lechumra from a shasat chak. An example is the Xera Mora Golar bin Gershon Xera, Shinigzar Binyani Gitten, by which he means the Xera that you can't marry two two wives. That's a really important Xera, it's a strict Xera. In order to avoid marrying two wives, we compel you to divorce. But he says, compelling someone to divorce is a very serious matter. Compelling someone to divorce is no gea, right? If, if the get is not chal, so now you have also right. So now the the woman's going to go remarry, and that's going to violate a certain So obviously they take this rabbinic zera with extreme seriousness. Nonetheless, we don't apply rabbinic gershon zera in all places. And halacha, he as he thinks is that when you need to be making on the on the on the zera rabbinic gershon. Whoever the, the whoever the chacham the shofet shriya by mimahem is, they can just decide this is a circumstance where it's not where it's not where it's, where it's not uh, applicable. So now he comes to the point that I really want to make. Right? So after he has this really radical chiddush that all drabanans, uh, even when they there's no explicit exemption, they simply don't apply to circumstances which are very difficult. 
Although he now he edges it a little bit and says it's not like each individual can decide that. We're talking about on a communal level, the Chachmehador get to the Chachmehador get to make that uh, decision. I'll put my card in the chat again. Coming in. Um, okay, we're on page we're on page one towards uh, just before the uh, line before the bolded line. So now he says what matters, right? So after he has this radical idea that all Durabanans um, can in every generation of Chachamim can decide that that Durabanan does not apply to our circumstances because it poses too much of a strain. Maybe you're going to say, right? Um, they're going to say that, okay, so here is, we're, we're in Brisk in 1850 and there isn't enough food, so we need to be matir this particular kind of kidneys. Okay, good. But what you're going to say is, Vadema, Dafka Lanim, Shainam Devarachir Lechol, Avalola Balabayas of Ashirim. So let's say, okay, you know what? This Gzera, that you're not allowed to eat this kind of kidney, that this thing is called kidneys in its Asr. This era poses difficulty for a segment of the community. The poor people don't have enough to eat without it, but the rich people do. So why should we not hear this thing, which is uh, which is mamish usher, for everybody else? Let's just be matir to the extent that it is necessary. We matir for the poor, but not for the rich. He says, "Ain't nothing No, it would be wrong to be matir this kind of kidney for the poor and not for the rich. Why? Nobody thinks that this that this bean is really chametz. Nobody thinks that. Right? The only thing is, right? Just they were they banned this kind this form of bean because they thought that it might cause you, in some way, to come violate chametz because of confusion or whatever. See the right? See the prechadash who explains in detail why kidneys are asked. So he says, If we were to allow this form of kidneys for the poor and not for the rich, the poor people will not enjoy their yantif properly. Because they'll say, what we are doing now when we eat these chickpeas, or sorry, when we eat these beans, we are violating something. We're eating something also. Um, okay. Um, Actually, it's not only the people, it's the other people, right? The rich people will look at the poor and say, ha, the poor people are eating usher things. And the rich people say, you know what, because they're poor, that's why we allow them to eat these things. The poor people will not have a sympathy on them, either because they'll mistakenly believe, I don't think he says it explicitly, I think it's Mustafer, Either because they'll mistakenly believe that they're eating something, they're doing something else, sir. Or what he does say explicitly is the rich people will look at them with scorn and say, those people, those are the people that Chazal allowed something usher, or that our Chachamim allowed something usher because they're poor. How can you enjoy your yantiv when you know that other people are looking down on you for eating, right, for Eating things that they would not be allowed to eat because really there's something kind of usher about it. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, okay. So now he says, Do we have any examples of this where we say, you know what, we're going to be mocked or something that really should be usher because we're afraid that people will have their, well, people's attitudes will be affected by the belief that they're doing something wrong? There's an example. He says, We can find another example 
Rav Chazal were worried about this kind of psychological impact. Because we don't uh, encourage women to check themselves after Tashmish to see whether, whether to see whether in fact there was an Isser, because we're afraid that if 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 the husbands find out afterwards that they committed an Isser, that they won't. And they want they want to enter the process in the first place. So it's better, right? Ignorance is bliss, right? If you committed an Isser Bishogeg, we don't want to know about it, uh, right? So even like, even though like you should be concerned, right? Maybe you should, you should have to bring a korban chatos. There are all sorts of really good reasons that we should encourage women, right? But we don't in that case because we right because we really worry about the psychological impact of of um, of even religious positive religious activities on people's religious attitudes. The pain can in not your level of Adam, so so to hear if we were allowed just the poor, come a year at the Kimi Elib and Velkum Bazes, so there'll be some God fearing people who will be afraid of this. The Yushumi says so they won't eat these kidneys, the monosimpliciative, and that therefore they won't they won't uh have simplicitive. The pain dati no to lock you'll be shasafat. And therefore, my my impression says um Fadua is that we should be not through these kidneys for everybody. Even for the people who don't need them, it doesn't go so far as saying we're going to force them to eat them. Uh, but we have to make it entirely clear, right? We we cannot put a we cannot put a special hetero on that it says kasher rak le'aniyam le'aniyam kidneys. It has to be it has to it has to be mutter for uh, we're not going to have a means test, right? Before you sell it at your local before you sell it at your local makolot. There's analogy to right to Isernida and uh, and being vatal puravu is pretty radical. That having less simchasiyantiv is just as important as being vatal from puravu. Like puravu is you know might and bus. All those sorts of things. It's a pretty astonishing uh, analogy. Um, but so he has it. So this is my I I, I read this shiva and I thought this is really wild and cool. Um, right, what's there's no halachic basis for allowing the right. You ask why can the rich people eat these things? The answer is the rich people can eat these things, even though there might be a chashash that the result of eating these things, whatever the chashash of that kidney is, is right? They have to worry about it. Maybe it's a chashash that they're going to come and make a mistake and they're going to eat uh, mamish chamez. Right? That's what the reason that there is. But you know, so what? So what? You can't make separation between the rich and the poor. They'll make the poor not uh, not enjoy not enjoy the yantid. So we could limit it. We could say that even though he draws the analogy to Isanida and uh, and Peru, at the end of the day, he's talking about kidneys. And kidneys is not the world's most serious sister. And so allowing the rich allowing the rich to eat um, to eat kidneys is not the same thing as saying that you know what there's a circumstance where the poor, for whatever reason, need to right need to to violate harchokos, but the rich don't. So we're going to be matter harchokos nida for the right, for the for the rich. But he seems to think. It's the same case. Okay, so that's to the number one. Now we're going to read the response from Melchiel Tenenbaum, um, 28 years later, who has his own, who has his own famine. Um, so he starts by quoting, right, with great respect, the uh, the the the, the All right, if you look at where he starts by quoting, and then you look at, at uh, we're on page the second page now. I forgot the number of the pages. I always do. Uh, Look, shout out to my former colleague, Dr. Rezalman Stein, who was always there to remind me that I would forget this in faculty meetings. Um, it's really important to number the pages, but too late now. Um, he says, right, so here's how Merkel begins approaching this trilogy. He says, 
I am not worthy even to entertain doubts about the Marimi Brisk's Shuba. Okay, so he has enormous respect for him. But you know what, right? With all with, with all due respect, it's Torah and I have to say the truth, and I'm not allowed to show favorites with him. So with the, with real gestures of respect, I think that that the Rambi Brisk was correct. Now, what do I mean? Rambi Brisk was correct. So he says Chasvashalom was correct about his general position about Zexerus Rabbanon don't apply Bishas And he goes through one by one. He goes through all the rayas that Rambi Brisk brought, and he disposes of them. And he said, in all those cases, there is some kind of indication in the Gemara, um, right, in the in the text of the Xera, there's all, right, there's some kind of indication that it doesn't apply in this Shasafak, or that this Xera doesn't apply to Shasafak. The Marimbi Brisk's far-reaching claim that all Xera Starabanon are a mutter Bishasafak, and it's just up to the, and you don't need an Abed and Gadol Minion, you just need a decision of whichever authorities it is, and from the indication of Kitneos, it sounds like you can even have local authorities. That kind of radical idea that Dirham Malkiel says, Chas v'shal All right, we're not going to go through all his writings. Um, and, you know, but he, he has many, many, he has many, um, many, many of them. Okay, and he tells you that even if we get to a situation where the majority of the community is incapable of withstanding Xera. So, in which if it happened, if it happened initially, we would not allow we would, the Xerah would never take fort place, but once it's taken place, so even if when the Xerah was made, it, it, it didn't impose hardship for 10% of the population, and now 60% of the population of Kal Yisrael is right, faced with economic distress as the result of this rabbinic decree, it still requires a formal act to undo it. You can't just say it didn't apply. Okay, so we're going to skip. We're going to go to page three now. Uh, we're, gonna, we're at the Simon uh, Sifiud Gimel of the Deber Melchior. Okay, so here's so here's here's what he says, um, responding to the issue that we care about. He's all called upon in this virus. So regardless, uh, it becomes clear. Even within Chazal, they did not on their own just decide, you know what, that was their decree, but we're going to be lenient about it. They only did that if they knew that the original Xerah did not apply to these circumstances. Where the decree had a built-in clause saying, right, right, how we know this is not my issue, but he thinks that you have to honestly believe that this specific Zera has an exception in it. You see, built into the original decree, it says, but not in these kinds of circumstances. That's the only way Bazal can do it. And certainly, the Marim didn't really mean that we, contemporary rabbis, have the authority to relax rabbinic decrees just because there is an economic um, economic uh, incentive to do so. Because, God forbid, we could ever attribute such a position to a tzaddik like the, like the Marim Bikrisk. Just like we find Chazal within the Chazalic era, they would sometimes relax prior decrees uh, in Makam Dechak. 
So really, when Rabbi Risk wasn't talking about Xerus Chazal, he was talking about post Chazal Xerus. So he would never have said about Chazal decrees. He's only saying it about post Chazal decrees, like Kidneos. But he says, but he's wrong about that too. Rabbinic Xerus, even post Chazal Rabbinic Xerus, assuming such a thing can exist, about which you can read, um, you can read my article in Lairhouse today. Um, there, right, there's no, there's no, um, there's no way that you can relax them about very specific notions that it was intended to be relaxed. And don't tell me about about the Rebbe Gershom Meragola because the Takana Rebbe Gershom it says very specifically that you can be there in specific circumstances. Okay, good. He doesn't like the Marimbi Brisks general letter, but um, now, okay, Nashuv. That's now we're on, we're on paragraph Chaf on the fourth page of the Makarachi. Uh, Let's go back to talking about kidneys now. It says, look, kidneys is not more than a regular uh, than a regular Kidneos is really just some kind of big mass netter after right after Chazal. And look, what happens to the regular netter if you say I have regrets? I didn't intend to make the netter in those circumstances. We say, okay, the netter doesn't apply. Because that only applies where you intended it to apply. So he has this, it's not at all clear to me what period of history he believes this is true of, but whatever is, whoever made the original decree of Kitneos, whatever the original netter was made, that was a time where food was really cheap. Nobody even imagined the possibility that, that food would be expensive. This is a wild historical claim. I don't know what land we're living in where Jews are living where they have such food security that they can't imagine a time when they were where they'll have to when it'll be expensive to pay for food. So they never accepted an editor to apply in this kind of in the kind of economic straits we find ourselves. Right, which causes the poor people to lack because who would ever take an editor that would cause them to have, to violate the Samaftabhagat? Can imagine a time when potatoes are expensive? Nobody could imagine a time when potatoes are expensive because there weren't potatoes yet in Europe. Right? There's almost no potatoes because it's so cold. This is not yet the Irish potato famine. It's just cold. And lots of guess what? Kidneys is a really weak binod. So the different Malkiel says, I'm going to be much your kidneys too. But not for your reasons. I'm going to be your kidneys for my own reasons. Kidneys is a weak minog. And it's a post Chazal, it's a post Chazal minag, and I think minagim are a lot weaker than you think they are, Marimi uh, Brisk. But now he comes to the point that matters to us. He says, The Kaelin Shakolyus said the Heter should be armed with Yasser Shaya, who will be not onus for Dothik, since the whole grounds of the Heter is this kind of right, is that we're under enormous pre- economic pressure. In Cain, Ain Lahatir Rakla Niyam Shakovum Dotha, Glowashirim. So we need to be Matir only for the poor and not for the rich. And if you are, have it have, have, can, can without great difficulty, if you can get through Pesach without eating kidneys, don't eat kidneys. It's also it's still also eating kidneys. It's not just a minute of to not eat kidneys. It's still also. I'm only not it for people who really need the hetter. Right? This is why. And so, allowed this even to the rich. The Talmeyazil, he was following his own shita. 
שדעת שתקנה גופה יש כוח ביד חכמי הדור, לשנות זה כפי הצורך, כי הוא חושב שהגזירה יכולה להיות מבקשת ביד חכמי הדור. אז הם יכולים להתחיל עם כל מי שרוצים. אבל לפי מה שכספתי, שחלילו לגעת בגוף הדבר, בקורנט למי, where there's no basis for, und- for undoing the Xerah, all you can do is say that it's mutterance for specific people, specific circumstances, so it sounds like now that what he thinks is, you know what, it, it would be nice, it really is the value to try and protect the feelings of the, the poor, it's just that the Marumi Brisk made a mistake, he thought that the authority we have to vacate Their bonds is much broader than than we have but for as far as he's concerned no nope, we can't do anything about being mat right bonds we can't be matter for the for the rich in addition to the poor but now he has his own thing he says the MS Kefiasha super but the truth is as the story is told us the Marim spoke well for his own time and because in fact there was enormous um, inflation food and food price inflation the gami the less pruta and you had it both ways right prices were expensive and there was no cash so even if prices were cheap right there was no available cash you couldn't pay for anything right you can see again every time he mentions the army brisky has to say how right what a sadic is There'd be lots of poor people who would be ashamed to proclaim their poverty. And they appear rich. And they would rather starve on Yantiv than admit that they're poor. Okay, when I teach this, um, this kind of issue, I often suggest that people read uh, Jane Austen. Uh, right? There are all sorts of characters in Jane Austen Who read the last thing you sell and this is also important for understanding Hill and the last thing Hill stuck on the last thing you sell is your horse and buggy because what distinguishes you from as a member of the upper class is that you have a horse and buggy you can starve that right if you starve then you are poor upper class people but if you sell your horse and buggy then you are poor lower class people and it's more right uh, right maybe if you if you don't sell them you're starving upper class people you'd rather be starving upper class people than poor lower class people um, so he says since I know this is true you We're not talking about whether it's correct or not, right? You know, whether they're morally correct or not to do this, but that's a psychological reality. People would rather starve on Yantiv than publicly admit to being poor. So what he's doing is he's doing, you know, if you want to know, he's doing a restaurant salon to making Kiddush Yom Kippur thing. Right? He's getting up and he's saying, look, really, it shouldn't be Madridi Kidneyos. But... I have to tell everyone to eat kidneyos because if not, there's some people who won't eat kidneyos and the problem is not simple as yantiv so much, the problem is yantiv at all. The problem is maybe a starvation. Um, because it approaches pikuach nefesh. Right? People were very, very close to starving. They were weakened. They might be because their resistance is down, right? If you had a concept like that. Right? In the Marimi Brisk side, that was a much worse famine than the different Matkiel that we have now. So he says, no, it's a much more radical notion, in a sense, than the, the Marim has a very broad notion. Marim's notion is that um, when you have a choice, 
um, then you're mat, right? So that you can be matir a you can be matir drabanans, matir drabanans for everybody and not just narrowly because of the psychological impact, although he frames the psychological impact in terms of a mitzvah, but you could frame it, you know, I don't know, might be that during the week, there's also issues about people's psychology that prevent them from enjoying, the, enjoying, from enjoying their lives the way they're supposed to, which we could frame, um, whatever you want to call a dangerous word to say, not quota brios. But, you know, last, last term, it's, you know, right? So, uh, right? So people are going to be unhappy the whole time. Uh, okay, I don't know how far the Marimim Brisk would take it. He took a dafka about Yantiv. Um, so the Dibra Melkiel says, you know what? In principle, I, I applaud that idea, but I don't think you can use it to be matir things that are mamish asr. But he says there are other ways in which you can matir things that are mamish asr, which is that if you know that if the rich won't do it, the poor won't do it, and the result of that is that the poor will starve, so then it's better for the rich people to violate a minor asr then for the poor people to violate a major issue of starvation. So what you have is the Rimalkil is in order to prevent what he thinks is a very broad and dangerous principle, he comes up with a much more radical thing in the particular case that we mamish tell people to do something that's still also. Uh, what you get of both of them is the idea that when you paskin, you have to be aware that your psak is going to have social impact and you have to be fully conscious of what the social impact uh, social impact is. But in every in normal society, as he understands it, you have state economic stability in a sense. People know what class they belong to. Everyone lives according to the manner of the class they, they're used to. So the poor people know they're poor, and the rich people know they're rich. And the poor people are not ashamed of being poor. Right? So right, it's everyone does what they're supposed to do. And if you're mocked to your things for the poor, not the rich, everything comes out fine. But he says he, what, the, what he supposes the Marimi Brisk is living through is a time where all of a sudden people who are of a so, the social class of the rich have become poor, but their social status hasn't changed as a result. So it would be humiliating for them to publicly acknowledge their poverty. He says, look, in, the, in, the, in Brisk at that point, there were people who looked rich and were still rich. There were people who looked poor and were poor. And there were people who looked rich and were poor. And Marimbi Brisk says that middle class, we'll call it, right? The people who look rich, but right, because they used to be rich, but are now poor, those people will refuse to take advantage of a heter that only applies to the poor. So in order to enable those people to maintain their dignity, or in order to make sure that those people won't starve, whichever way you want to read it, we have to matter it even for the really rich. Because okay. we're matured, not matured for the really rich, then the 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 only uh, the only superficially rich will start. Okay, so this is different, right? So I want to point out that the, this is a very different argument that Marimi Brisk uh, made, and it's built on a very different social vision. Marimi Brisk um, works in a right, might work in a, an alleged you know in a really classless society, United States, right, where people don't see the rich and poor as being in different classes. So then we can say, look, yeah, everybody sees themselves as equal. So the problem is that the poor. Will, will think of themselves as lesser if they accept the hatcher that, that doesn't apply to the rich. But the different Malkiel is in a different circumstance. He's not worried about the poor. The poor he thinks will be fine. The poor understand that they can rely on a term that the rich can't. The problem is the people that there are, in his time, he hypothesizes in the Marami Brisk's time as opposed to his own, right? there were people who didn't think of themselves as poor. And that's why they wouldn't take advantage of the hatcher. And therefore, he says, remember, Brisk is not saying that we have to allow the rich th- people to do things so as to avoid the poor from perceiving them, uh, themselves as lesser, 
In order in Bristol, we have to tell rich people to do things that were really usser in order to prevent the people who mistakenly still thought of themselves as rich. Okay? Uh, right? So we go back and say, if we ever talk about Hilfot Stucca, right? This is the big thing that the Gemara talks about, right? Is whether when Hillel, when Hillel runs and right, hires some, a, a footman to run in front of the formerly rich person, right? Why, does, is the rich person still rich? No. But what matters to the rich person to maintain his dignity is that he should still be able to maintain the social appearance of wealth. And we can talk about right, the moral challenge, right? You know, what happens if he had a choice between buying, you know, between hiring a footman for this poor person or buying meals for 100 poor people, right? Is it really still, is it really stuck up? Uh, right, when I was being, um, before the presidency, I used to ask my students, right, what happens if it's really a, it really diminishes the covet of Donald Trump to have only three golf courses? Is it stuck to give him money so he could have a fourth? Right, but it really, it really, right, he really feels that way, right? So that's a whole, whole separate issue about how we relate to class, um, the class consciousness. Okay, but that's what the, that's what the the Diver Malkiel says that we right that as opposed to the the, 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 the what I understood to be the Marimi Brisks thing, which is that you can't let the the poor feel they're less than the rich. He thinks you can let the poor feel they're less than the rich, but you have to be aware of the feelings of the people who don't understand themselves to be poor. Okay, right where because I just told you the, the rest of uh, the rest of Chaf, he says right now he says something which I think is also really worth uh, thinking about. It says, you know what? But if the rich people have enough money to spread it out and make sure the poor people don't have to eat kidneys, that would be great. Well, I think he really is different than Marimi Brisk. Marimi Brisk, I think, would have said that if I have a choice, I can either be mocked to your kidneys for everybody, or I can force the rich people to support, right? To support the prices so that even the poor can, right, don't have to eat kidneys. Well, rather than be mocked or everything, I'd rather right, force the poor. I think he'd probably rather force the rich people to uh, right to to um, provide price supports. But the Dibra Malkiel says, no, you know what? The rich people have no responsibility for that. Right? They have no responsibility to right, they have no responsibility economically to prevent the poor right to to ensure that the poor people don't have to rely on Eterra. The only thing is that here there isn't in right, that in the army brisk time there wasn't enough money perhaps or maybe right or even if they supported the people right I think that's really what he's saying he says in the army brisk time suppose we had forced the rich people to give that money it would right it wouldn't have done any good because they're, right they're still supporting the prices in places that will he thinks would acknowledge the I, I don't know I think it's an interesting claim that Rimmel Kiel thinks that the rich have no the rich have no responsibility for this and. Therefore, he's willing to be matir the rich eating, matir the rich eating kidneys rather than force them to spend lots of money to, to subsidize the poor. And I'm not sure that Marimi Brisk would have agreed with that. Marimi Brisk might have said, you know what, the best case scenario is to ensure that everybody gets to experience Simchas Yante, we're not relying on Ethereum. If we don't have enough money to do that, so then we're going to let, we're going to force everybody to rely on Ethereum and not, um, and not just the poor. Okay, so now I'm going to. This when I, I read this shuva, it immediately put me in mind. Uh, immediately put me uh, put me in mind um, of another shuva that I had read years ago. Uh, the shuva I'm very fond of, uh, because I think look, this is an outlier. I don't you know you might think so. You know, so look, the Marmi Brisk who was a tzaddik, came up with this really really interesting idea that there's 
this notion of social responsibility in halacha that you can't just make a tarim for the poor you have to make it right you the the rich you have to ensure that the rich participate in the same kind of halachic poverty as the uh, as the poor has anybody else ever said this nobody quotes this true of the marimi brisk in terms of that issue uh, and we saw the different malkiel is a very different vision and that's also a socially responsive vision but one which cares which is less focused on the poor than on the than on the um than on the formerly rich I wanted to bring in a, a truva of the Malamid Lahoyal, which I think has enormous implications for um, contemporary Orthodox society in the United States, if we really take it seriously. Uh, Rav David Tzvi Hoffman, you know, is one of the great postgames of um, early 20th century, earliest 20th century Western Europe. Um, and I'm not going to write, you, could, you know, not gonna, he doesn't need me to uh, him, but you have to take him with enormous seriousness. But here's his, his, um, his Shiloh, which is worth, you know, worth, Every aspect of it is worth full exploration in terms of its uh, what what how he's posturing for a society, but we're interested in a narrow aspect of it. He says, "Here's the issue. We're now on the last page of the Makaros." Okay, kids who are going to school, secular school, right? There are no there are no day schools uh, with with secular curricula. They're going it because the only way they can make a living. Is if they go to school and learn these sorts of and learn these sorts of subjects, and they go to, sh- to school. Believe it or not, they go to school on Shabbos. And they take their they take their secular books along with them. Let's assume there's an error, right? But they're walking to they're walking to public school on Shabbos carrying their books. So and they're doing this whether or not their parents tell them to, right? There's a generational shift, and the parent right and the kids are going to school without asking their parents whether they should. And now the question is, do the parents have to say, no, you may not go to school, public school on Shabbos? Chuma, so here's his answer. The first question that I'm going to ask is, is it much for them to go to the gymnasium on Shabbos? And so he quotes a, right, so he quotes, right, so the question he asks is, is it much to learn secular studies on Shabbos? And he says, look, there's a machlokas, whether it's much Right in the Shulchan Aruch, Simashin Zion, some people say that it's uh, right. He quotes Bistam, right? That the that is that that like the Machvirim, but there's material that is that there are people there's Yeshbi Shematir. We can talk in a totally different context about how broad the Yisur is and how broad the Heter is. Um, Shuras Hadin, but as far as the Lama says, Shuras Hadin, if we were just following the mechanical rules of Sak, Hayali Sokia Osrin, we should paskin that it's Oster to go to gymnasium because you're learning things you shouldn't be reading on Shabbos. But the Levush wrote that the uh, the Noagin kematirin. But the Levush said that it, that the custom is bimatir, the chayin mashpun b'darke Moshe. So maybe that we shouldn't pass him that way. But nearly, the minyondi done gama ostrin modi. He says it seems to me that in our time everybody would agree that there's no iser per se in going to school to learn these things. Everyone agrees why? Because we because we think that things that are that you're allowed to you're certainly allowed to read things that are lesorich mitzvah on Shabbos. And guess what? Learning to make a parnasil is lesorich mitzvah. Okay, that's a that's a really um, right. That's that's a really fine heter. We're not going to uh, we're not we're not we're not going to get into the issue of secular studies on Shabbos right now. And he has a, a pedagogic position. If you don't let the students go on to school on Shabbos, right? So now we're in the middle of the paragraph. It says, If you tell the students that they're not allowed to go to, to school on Shabbos, so they have a very rigid school system. Nobody's going to catch the Jewish kids up because they miss Shabbos. 
They miss school on Shabbos, you won't understand what's going on for the week either. So if you don't allow Jewish kids to go to public school on Shabbos, they're going to fall back academically and they're not going to be able to make a living. Okay, so now he says, or if you're going to say, the fourth paragraph, just hire tutors. So that, right, and the tutors on Sunday, right, like Brazilian, there's no gymnasium, the tutors will teach the right, will teach the Jewish kids what they missed on Shabbos. Most Jews in Germany in this period are poor. They can't hire private tutors. And since secular studies are needed to make a living, Right, so it's like the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, you're allowed to speak about apprenticing your kid, because that way they'll be able to living on Shabbos. So too, you can send them to public school on Shabbos. Okay, you can tell me they should hire tutors. They can't afford to hire tutors. Everybody agrees it's okay to say, right, he thinks, everybody agrees that in Germany at this period, you can send your, your kid to public school on Shabbos to learn stuff. But now he says, I have a further thing. He says, There are some places that What about there's, he says, there's some places where I think that even the rich people who can afford tutors, it's more important, it's better for them to send their kids to public school than to hire a tutor. Send their kids to public school on Shabbos rather than hire a tutor. Why? Because there's some place he says, You know what? There are, there are, lot, there are lots of places where lots of Jews are Machal Shabbos. They write on Shabbos. And the from kids in public school, there are very, very few of them. You know what? So in those places where there are very few kids who are really Shomer Shabbos, if you send in the public school, they need some kind of critical social mass to enable them to not take notes on Shabbos in public school. If you tell the rich kids, the rich parents, you can pull your kids out of public school on Shabbos, because why should they go to public school on Shabbos? You can afford to teach them the material. The poor kids are going to be left in those schools without the critical mass, and they're all going to stop being Shomer Shabbos. So in order to stop the poor kids from the poor kids from being Mechal Shabbos, you have to tell the rich kids you have to go to school. So there again, we say, what? Telling the rich parents to send their kids to public school on Shabbos when they can avoid that? Why would you tell them to do anything like that? The answer is because the rich parents have to behave in a way that makes religion socially sustainable for the poor. Okay, that's the that's the right. So it seems to me this is the same kind of tshuva. You look at you look at a circumstance. You say, look, I'd much rather, obviously, I'd much rather that our Jewish kids didn't spend their Shabbos morning. And you see in the right, that he's they don't even get to go to davening, right? And you'll you see a different tshuva like quote at the bottom where he. He follows her Hildesheimer. They had a special afternoon laning on Shabbos where they laid all seven, they laid the whole parsha on Shabbos afternoon because the kids from gymnasium, 
Maybe they could daven by themselves, but there was no meaning for them. Or they wouldn't wake up early enough to go to Hashkava. So they had a special leaning just for the kids who went to gymnasium, even though he thinks halacha really is not so pushed that you can lane all seven aliyahs after, after Chatzos and Shabbos. But he says, look, you know what? When you're paskening, you have to realize that some people are rich and some people are poor. And you can't pasket in such a way that even if it's the, you know, on their own, this would be the right sack for the rich. You can't pasket for the rich in a way that makes the poor unsustainable. Okay, so I wanted to connect this psaq of the Vihafin to that psaq of the Marimid Brisk, and then ask ourselves to think about it, right? So my wife says, you know, that the social stigma perspective of the Marimid Brisk is useful in terms of thinking about things like Shabbos elevators and right, others, right, also, and, and hearing aids and all sorts of things where we say things are mutter only for the people who need them, right? So we have to think about whether that creates a social stigma that a uh, religious stigma that makes people have a lack of simchus Shabbos and Yantiv and how we react to that. And that might very well be at, in dispute between the Marimbi Brisk and the Rimal Kiel. And then Rosetta Sviapin says, we also have to think about sustainability. You can't set up a situation in which staying from requires more money than people have. And if that means that the rich people can't live with Hachila lives, then we have to tell the rich people that they're not supposed to live with Hachila lives. They're supposed to live with the Evid lives because that's the only way that the poor can live. And you right, pulling you out makes the life makes the poorest life unsustainable. So I think that uh, we could have lots and lots of conversations about the impact this would have on uh, on education, on kashras, um, on all sorts of social phenomena now in the Orthodox community. I leave those to you to uh, think about. Uh, as we go into Pesach, where the economics are always belated as to what sorts of things are. Uh, like obviously, that we can't imagine a society in which it's um, it's a lack. Right? Imagine a society in which it's a lack of simplicity to stay home for Pesach. Right? Imagine such a society, right, where people, right, where because so many people go, right, right, so many people go away for Pesach that the people who stay home feel like they're not really having yantiv because yantiv is right. Really, how can you be? How can you have cheres without servants? I always find that very astonishing that the way which we celebrate cheres is to have servants. But how could, right? But if you live in a world where people say, how could you have favorites without servants? So then, right, what does that do? So, okay, I don't think it's the to have servants on Pesach. I think it's astonishingly difficult to imagine that the way you should celebrate uh, freedom from Abdos is to have other people who live just to, um, who live just, right, just to serve your whims. Um, but if that were the situation, I think it would ask the shadows. That's my, my shita. I think that these chubas, whether you think that they're specific, Sakim, are, were correct in their own times or not, they're not, the specific Sakim are not. They relate to circumstances that are not ours. We have to think of, figure out how to apply them. But I think that the Darche Hapsak they suggest is one that we could learn a great deal from today. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.